At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is the New York City Cast with Will Hill, presented by Bet Rivers. Welcome to the New York City Cast, presented by Bet River Sportsbook. A Friday show for you. Uh, I, I've been doing this show maybe six months now. This is probably uh, the most fun I've had doing a show. Ian Eagle of the S Network is going to be on with us. We'll talk Net Celtics, uh, covering Durant, covering the St. Peter's run in the NCAA tournament. And then he gives you some stories at the end from, from Bill Raftery, Mike and the Mad Dog. Some of these stories are just are, are really laugh out loud funny. So stick around. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we'll start here. Uh, Yanks and Orioles. Yanks and Baltimore to take on the Orioles. Yankees minus 215 at Bet Rivers. Total nine. Uh, good win last night. Severino actually looked like the pitcher. Boy, you know, sometimes on the S Network they make it seem like, you know, this, you know, he was great and then he got hurt, which is somewhat true. But, you know, end of 2018, he was really bad that second half of 2018. Then he was hurt. And then he's kind of, you know, been back and forth between being injured and, you know, being mediocre when he's back. Last night he looked dominant. Last night he looked like the guy who, you know, he was in 2017 where, uh, third in Cy Young, and then carried it over the first half of 2018 and was great. He looked like that guy last night. I mean, he was throwing the ball 100 miles an hour. Nasty off-speed stuff. Great cutter. Dominated a good Blue Jays lineup. They were missing their cleanup hitter. Hernandez was hurt, but uh, an impressive effort from Severino. Bottom of the lineup after he got on him yesterday, basically you know gets a hit every time up. A couple of them were, were fortunate hits with uh, with Kiner Falefa and Trevino, but they got the job done. Severino pitched a nice game. Bullpen does its thing. Um, if you're listening in time to get this in, I, I would probably take the Yankees minus one and a half tonight. You could get that minus 130 in over five and a half runs. That goes for tonight. That goes for any of these games in Baltimore. It's just I kind of blindly bet them when they're in Baltimore. They have killed the Orioles, uh, especially in Camden. They just sort of kill their pitching staff. 
So uh, Yankees tonight, Yankees pretty much all weekend is going to be uh, a bet I'm going to make, you know, whether it's the money line, if you want to lay the one and a half, if you want to just take the team total over, which uh, if you're unfamiliar with that, you just bet on how many runs the Yankees are going to score. And most of the time, five, five and a half. So as long as the Yankees score six or more runs, uh, you'll get a winner. And I think this is a weekend where they can break out. You know, the weather's better. It's a little warmer, which is good for offense. Uh, they really haven't hit a whole lot. You know, they scored six runs that opener last Friday. They haven't scored more than, I think, four since. So uh, they haven't had one of those nine, ten run explosions. I would think you would get one tonight, this weekend. I could see some seven, eight, nine run performances from the Yankees. I would expect them to break out against a bad pitching staff uh, for Baltimore. Lyles going for the Orioles, who's nothing special. Over five ERA last year, seven ERA a couple years ago. Uh, Montgomery going for the Yankees. Orioles just have no pitching. No pitching whatsoever. And they have less pitching now because Means, I don't know if Means MRI came back or the testing or whatever, but John Means left the game the other day with forearm tightness, which is never a good sign if you're a pitcher. So uh, they don't have a lot of pitching to begin with. And uh, if they're down Means, they're really going to have an even longer year uh, than we expected. So that's the Yankees. I would expect them to have a big weekend in Baltimore. Schedule's pretty easy, actually, for, for the Yankees in, in April. Looking a couple series ahead, they get the Guardians, the Royals, the Orioles again. Uh, Yanks at 4-3 and three have a, a, a nice opportunity here to you know, get off to a good start, which typically has not been their MO the last few years. They typically have been a slow starter. They have a chance this year to, uh, to get, get off to a good start, string some wins together, and starting with this weekend against Baltimore, who... Like I said, they've killed in recent years. They actually struggled against them last year. They were, remember Baltimore was losing. Everybody had lost like 20 straight games and actually won a couple games against Baltimore, uh, against the Yankees, which really uh, hurt the Yankees' chances to win the AL East. But I would expect the Yankees to take care of business tonight and this weekend um, against Baltimore. Net Celtics. Uh, Bet Rivers has Celtics minus 140 for the series. Celtics minus four for game one. We'll do plenty of this series with Ian coming up. Uh, I will just say I think this is a long series. I've gone back and forth. I lean towards Nets in seven just because I think it's a long series. And once you get Durant in a game seven, I just don't want to bet against that guy. And you probably have the two best offensive players in the series in uh, Durant and Kyrie. And that's a lot to overcome. Now, that being said, Boston does have home court. They have a better home court uh, than Brooklyn does. Look, a game in Boston, a home game in Boston is not the same as the Nets getting a home game in Brooklyn. That is a crazy crowd in Boston. The Nets can kind of be, you know, more of an apathetic crowd. It's not like a home game in the Garden would be for the Knicks where, you know, you get a really raucous environment. So it's a tough series for the Nets. If Even if they beat, uh, you know, Boston, I don't see them getting past Milwaukee. But I do kind of lean towards the Nets in seven here at plus money. I do like the Nets. I think if you if you like the Nets in the series, just take them, you know, plus one, uh, plus four in game one. And if they lose, then you can really jump in at a better price. If they lose game one, they'll probably go to plus two hundred, plus two twenty for the series. Remember, they update these series prices after every game. So, uh, Nets plus four in game one is a pick. I'll I'll lay off the series for now. If they somehow lose game one, I'll jump on them probably, you know, plus two hundred or so for the series. So. I think it'll be a good series. I think it'll be a long series. I'm excited for it. Uh, I don't see anyone winning in four. I don't see anyone winning in five. I think this is a six or seven game series. Be fun if we got a you know a seven gamer between these two teams with everything that happened last year. You know, a little bit of a rivalry. The trade from you know what it was eight nine years ago. There's uh, 
some history between these two teams with with Irving meeting last year, the trade with with Garnett and Pierce. So should be a fun series. Boston, New York, that's another element to it. So looking forward to it. I'll take Nets plus four for game one. I'll take the Yankees tonight. I'm going to be betting the Yankees uh, all weekend here at Bet Rivers. So Yankees should take care of business against the Orioles tonight. And then we start what is a great series here with the Nets and the Celtics this weekend. And uh, like I said, I expect this one to go six, probably seven. I'd be shocked if somebody won this four to one or four nothing, barring some sort of an injury. So excited for it. Weather's nice. We got baseball all weekend. We got the NBA playoffs starting. Exciting time of the year. Draft is less than two weeks away. So good things ahead. Yankees tonight. Nets plus four in game one are the picks. Coming up next, Ian Eagle, Nets play-by-play man, will get his thoughts on the Nets Celtics series. Uh, he makes me laugh harder than I've ever laughed on my own podcast with some of his stories on Bill Raftery, Mike and the Mad Dog. So uh, a lot of fun with Ian. That is next. This is the New York City Cast presented by Bet River Sportsbook. Bet River Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, Bet Rivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com today to sign up. Must be 21 or older, available in New York only. Void where prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. All right, we are back. New York City cast Bet River Sportsbook. Let's talk a little Nets Celtics. We'll talk some other things. To do that, there is nobody better than our next guest. He is the voice of the Nets from the Yes Network, from Turner, from CBS. I'm probably leaving out two or three jobs. It is the great Ian Eagle. Ian, what's up, man? Thanks for coming on. Well, my pleasure. Great to finally talk with you. Uh, we'll get to Nets Celtics in a minute, but, you know, it, it's fascinating. Teams change every year, but just I feel like in the last three or four years, we've seen maybe... I don't know, six or seven different versions of this Nets team from the post-KG trade where they're asset poor and, and they can't really have any you know maneuverability. They're taking on bad contracts up to you know D'Angelo Russell in that 2019 where they're an upstart team. They make the playoffs. Uh, at, right after the season, they kind of scrapped that. They signed KD. They signed Kyrie. Those guys don't really play the next year. They go to the bubble with, with basically a G League team. Next is Harden where they have you know 20 games of what is a super team. So the version of they are, uh, of what they are now, has it been strange to see their kind of transformation in, in these different versions of this Nets team the last three or four years? You're right. There, there have been a number of different iterations of the Nets. I give Sean Marks a great deal of credit. He did have a vision. How to get to that place was hard to visualize because they had very little frontline NBA talent when he took over. And they didn't have a whole lot of maneuverability. And they didn't have their picks. And they went to Boston, as we know, in the Paul Pierce KG deal. So how he approached this was, all right, you got to swing for the fences. And you might have to overextend on some players that could be considered marginal maximum contracts or near maximum contracts. And show the league that you're serious, show agents that you're serious, show players that you're building something and create an environment that players want to be a part of. And that's no simple task. So what did that entail? You know, initially, Alan Crabb and uh, paying, overpaying for for his services. Tyler Johnson, they put a huge bid on Miami, ended up matching it. They ended up getting Tyler anyway. 
Otto Porter, similar situation, big, big money forcing the hand of Washington. And then he goes through an NBA odyssey. But what it did was indicate that the Nets were focused on trying to upgrade their talent and also getting in the good graces of a number of agents around the league who had other clients. And I think the other part that, that stood out for me, they really did make it a family atmosphere. When they signed players, big names, medium names, undrafted free agents, they told those players, you know what? You wanna bring your wife on a trip. You wanna bring your mom on a trip. You wanna bring your dad on a trip. No problem, not an issue. And that was the first time I really saw that up close and personal. Some teams talk about it. The Nets actually did it. And then the, the word spread around the NBA. And obviously where we are today, uh, that that's a different level where the Nets have been able to attract major talent. And the signing of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving was a breakthrough moment for the franchise. Were you surprised Durant chose the Nets? Uh, you know, there was rumors he was going to New York that whole year. It seemed like he was kind of on the outs with Golden State, but I think a lot of people assumed New York. Remember, they trade for uh, the Knicks trade for DeAndre Jordan, kind of thinking that would help him recruit Durant. There's whispers that maybe that backfired. DeAndre Jordan gets there and says, you know what, it's a disaster here. You can't come <laughs> here. Uh, when did you sort of get an idea that maybe this was possible, that Durant would, go, would, uh, would join the Nets? You know, I can't tell you that there was ever any certainty. I'm not sure the Nets organization was convinced. I think they felt they had a puncher's chance. They liked their setup. They liked the presentation, which, by the way, it was not a take them out to dinner in the Hamptons. It was more along the line of making sure he recognized what they were doing and that he was cognizant of how they were going about it. Kevin he'll go against the grain. You know, KD is not necessarily a just go with the flow kind of guy. And I think he does like to create his own path. And certainly later in his career, he's determined that uh, he's going to do it his way. And he's cool with that. And he's cool with, with people providing a backlash and him handling it, whether it be on social media or on a podcast or in an interview uh, he's going to do his thing. So I think that benefited the Nets, that they were a little bit of an outside-the-box conception. And his decision, while it may have sent shockwaves around the NBA, those who know Kevin Durant will tell you they were not that shocked. He saw something there, and he saw room to grow and not the same old thing. It was different, and he viewed it that way. Uh, you've obviously you've seen a lot of basketball. You've been around a lot of players. Uh, watching him day to day, do you ever? I, I know there's an expression people you know you get bored with greatness. You kind of take it for granted. Is there ever a moment where you just say, "Wow, I, I can't believe he hit that shot"? Can you think of a, one moment specifically where you're just you're doing a game, you're up close and personal, you say, "I can't believe what I just saw with Durant." Well, I'm not overstating this. That happens to me every game. Because keep in mind, I've been doing this job with the Nets now for 28 years. So there's been a lot of anonymous basketball being played by that team, first in New Jersey, uh, then eventually in Brooklyn for the last 10 years. And the relevance factor was not something that I was accustomed to. Even when they went to back-to-back -back finals, they had superb teams, fun, up-and-down style, pleasing to the eye. Jason Kidd, 
Richard Jefferson, Kenyon Martin, Kerry Kittles, Keith Van Horn, then eventually Vince Carter. Those were fun teams to call. As a play-by-play announcer, uh, I was in a great spot because they were creative and kid would do something magical and Vince Carter's athletic ability and skill level provided this this perfect soundtrack for a play-by-play announcer. But even with that said, they were never the talk of the NBA, ever. KG, Paul Pierce created buzz, yes. Some curiosity, but again, never the lead story in the NBA. With Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you often find yourself on the receiving end of a lot of inquiries from people that want to know more, whether it be interviews, uh, whether it be uh, just uh, going back and forth at the local pizza joint. It just changed the way they were viewed. So uh, having not taken it for granted, because I know the other side, what KD does, and the part that I didn't really know until you see a player every day, he brings it every single possession. And you think, well, that should be the norm, but it isn't. And uh, his effort level, how much he cares, uh, the blood, sweat, and tears, he is completely immersed physically, mentally, spiritually. It, it means everything to him, and it shows when he's out there on the court. Yeah, because there's been a lot of conversation about, you know, avoiding the Nets. You know, Milwaukee, they duck the Nets. It's like they're really ducking KD because you look at the rest of the Nets, they're, you know, they're small. It's an okay roster. And Kyrie has his moments where, you know, he flashes his brilliance, but it, it, yep. it's really avoiding Durant. It's You don't want to get in a situation where, hey, you end up in a seventh game and it's, you know, a three or four point game late and Durant's on the other side. You yep. know, as good as Milwaukee is, I think Milwaukee would have some advantages over the Nets. I think the Nets can pretty much beat anybody else. You don't want to get in a situation here where Durant's on the other side and, and it's, you know, it, it's a game seven with three minutes left and that guy's got the ball in his hands. Well, uh, I agree with everything you said, and I do think teams view it that way. They, they won't say it publicly, but they know behind the scenes he's, he's a killer. That's how he's wired. But with all of that said, there was inconsistency throughout the year. Now, yeah. they had very different chapters of their season. In my mind, four very different chapters. The first chapter was no Kyrie the distraction of that, the constant questions, Durant and Harden trying to do it themselves, trying to figure out what the rotation looked like. It looked very different than it does right now. Bruce Brown wasn't really a part of it. Blake Griffin was a big part of it. Joe Harris was on the team at that point. So that was the first chapter. The second chapter was Irving now rejoining the team for road games only, Harden seemingly getting more and more disinterested And then it leads into the third chapter, which was Kevin Durant going out with an injury, the team going three and 17 over that span. Harden, not just disinterested now, completely deactivated mentally from being a part of this thing. Kyrie trying to lead the team in those road games, but it's spotty. And then the fourth chapter, the trade happens. Durant returns. They add Curry. They add Drummond. It's a new look. They change the rotation. They add Goran Dragic. Bruce Brown really emerges as sometimes a third option for this team. Aldridge out of the rotation entirely. And they do just enough at the end of the season to get that 7C to secure the home court for the 7-8 play-in matchup. 
But along the way, Will, they weren't blowing teams out. In games they had to have against inferior competition, they were still in a dogfight in the fourth quarter of these games. They had to come all the way back against the Knicks. They had a huge lead against Indiana and then had to hold off the Pacers. Cleveland towards the end of the season, undermanned, similar, up big, double figures. Cavaliers take the lead. Nets get it done late. And then final uh, game of the season uh, with Indiana, it, it just wasn't smooth sailing. But now it's a clean slate. And the Nets are looking at it that way, and that's the way they should be looking at it. But you can't just completely toss aside the regular season. Uh, there is something that you learn about teams in the regular season. Does it always translate? No. We see upsets, but you don't see a lot of them. You don't see a lot of eight seeds beating one seed. You don't see a lot of seven seeds beating two seeds. The one and the two seed in the East and the West, they showed a consistency. They showed a stability. They showed long stretches where they understood what it took to win, and they won in different ways. So I give a lot of credit to Boston for what they did this year, what they did from January 1st on. Their defense is real. Defense travels in this league. They are far different than the team that we saw a year ago. That matchup in the playoffs was Nets-Celtics in the first round a year ago. Nets win in five games. Kemba Walker gone. Evan Fournier gone. They make moves. They bring Horford back. Brad Stevens goes to the front office. Ime Adoka comes from the Nets as an assistant coach to the Celtics as the head coach. So there's a lot of uh, stories within the story, the game within the game that's going to take place in this series. And if I'm Boston, I would feel confident with the combination of Tatum and Brown and the level of play that we saw. They should feel good about their chances. The one caveat is what you laid out. The Nets have Kevin Durant. The Celtics do not. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting because we do the show every day, and it's you know I don't know how much you follow the lines, but I, I echo your sentiments where it's like they're seventeen point favorites in some of these games against Indiana, Houston. I'm always picking against them. I was like, look, I know how great Durant is, but I don't, you guys watching these games, nothing's easy for him. You know, no. Indiana the last day of the season, one twenty six. The other night, you know, Marketing has a couple shots to cut it to three or four. It's, it's just never easy for him. Um, Let's get to the Boston series just because, you know, it's crazy. You mentioned they played a year ago. It, it, it's it's hard to believe that's less than a year ago. The circumstances are so different. I mean, they won it in five. They really they just kind of took their foot off the gas in game three, as some of these teams do. That was really the peak of the Nets. It, it really – that was as good as it got. It, it, yep. it never returned to that. As soon as they go to the Milwaukee series, uh, Harden gets hurt. Kyrie gets hurt. It, it's kind of hard to believe that's a year ago because things are just so different now. Yeah, it, you're right. It feels like a lifetime ago because this team doesn't really resemble the one from last year. Yes, familiar faces with Durant and Irving and Brown and Claxton, but no Joe Harris because of the injury. New faces, Curry, Drummond, Patty Mills. Uh, Claxton better than he was a year ago, no doubt about it. Uh, he's a better player and more confident, and I think someone that Steve Nash can rely on more so than the trust level from last year. Defensively, they found something in the postseason. They found something in that Boston series, in fact, and it carried over at times against Milwaukee. Think back to the first two games. Oh, the Bucs were stymied in the first two games. They looked discombobulated, and if not for a Bruce Brown miss on a floater in game three, that's a commanding 3-0 lead. If not for a Kevin Durant toenail, 
That's a seven-game win for the Nets in the Eastern Conference semifinals last year. And, Will, I think about this all the time. You could do this every year in the NBA, so it's not just last year. But the sliding doors concept of what would have happened if that took place, if the Nets win that game, if Durant hits the game-winning shot, they beat the Milwaukee Bucks. Mike Budenholzer is not back as the head coach of the Bucks. Giannis Adetokounmpo is dealing with a avalanche of criticism and question marks this year going into the postseason. Can he win the big one? Can he do it in Milwaukee? Was the Drew Holiday trade worth it? All of these questions would have popped up. This Bucks team may look completely different than the one that we see right now. And look, this is part of the deal. Winning and losing can change everything. But I do think, uh, looking back on it for Milwaukee, that was truly a franchise-changing game moment. And the Bucks come in a little bit under the radar this year. You know, a team that very easily could repeat and, and win the title again. But I'm not sure people have jumped on that storyline and that narrative quite yet. Yeah, it's funny because there's nothing I love more than sports, but at the same time, sometimes it's just so stupid when you think about the you know the stories we drive with. Where you like you said, Budenholzer's probably working for ESPN doing Countdown or something. <laughs> if anything goes wrong there, and now he's a champion, Giannis is a champion. Just you know, the conversation shifts so quickly, and the Nets are probably at least in the finals. They're going to beat Atlanta. Uh, who knows against the Suns? But and like you mentioned, they're up three against Milwaukee with 50 seconds left, I think, in game three. And like you You're said, right. they get that one. I mean, they're looking at a sweep maybe in game four. So uh, it changes very quickly. Uh, just in terms of this series, uh, I'm having a hard time. I'm going really, I'm going back and forth. I think it's a long series. Do you think either team has a distinctive edge? Are we looking at like a six, seven game series here? Yeah, I think the latter. Uh, I believe this has the makings of a classic first round series just based on the matchups, the skill level, the strengths of Boston compared to the strength of Brooklyn. And I do think that it will be really important for Boston early. That, to me, will be a litmus test. They need to handle their business in this first game. Uh, they need to, to lift a little bit of the aura of Durant and Irving. I know the crowd's going to be juiced up. As we know, every time Kyrie touches the ball, he's probably going to hear it. So that's a whole other storyline that will get attention and certainly will be brought up time and time again. But we're trying to look at this from a bird's eye view. And the reality is, uh, I think Kyrie is up to the task this time around. The fact that he had that experience last year, the fact that he's been back to Boston, that they've had a full house, it it takes away a little bit of that layer and that mystique that would have carried over for Kyrie. So if Durant and Kyrie are at their best, and if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are at their best, this is going to be a huge battle. And now it'll start to come down to some of the peripheral players and the step the Seth Curry's the Patty Mills the Bruce Browns the Andre Drummond's the Nick Claxton's the Al Horford's the Marcus Smart's uh, we don't believe Robert Williams is going to be a part of this thing at least early maybe later in the series but Daniel Tice now plays a much bigger role and uh, I think those guys might end up determining it more so 
than the ones that you would just presume. I'm just I'm just thinking going in that the guys that I mentioned initially, the two stars on each side, they'll do fine. They'll be fine. Their numbers will be there by the end of the series. What else do these two teams get and who emerges as a true X factor? You spent some time with Mike and the Mad Dog to, to borrow a Mad Dog uh, term. I think the series has some juice. You know, it's Boston, New York. It's Durant. It's the rivalry with Kyrie. They played last year. Uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Now, just schematically, do you th- how do you think the Nets handle Tatum? Do you think Bruce Brown? Uh, it's it's really asking a lot for, for everything Durant has to do on offense to have to guard Tatum on top of it. How do you think the Nets attack Tatum? I think you'll see Durant against Tatum quite a bit. Uh, I don't believe that they'll try to bury Durant somewhere else. Now, you know, it, it depends on the kind of lineups Boston rolls out there. Without Robert Williams, that does change things quite a bit. You got Horford, who was playing a four spot, now shifting over to the five. Tatum moves up a spot, potentially playing that four. Bruce Brown is multidimensional, good switch defender, no doubt about it. Uh, They like him. They like his skills as a one-on-one defender. I don't think it'll be specifically, hey, that's your job for the series. They're going to mix and match. They're going to throw some different looks at him. And look, Will, you know this. They switch a lot. (laughs) And that's not going to change. Two more here just in terms of this series. How much do you think we see Simmons? It'd be hard for me to imagine he plays too much of a role. It doesn't sound like he's been, you know, had any contact I don't know if it's a smoke screen. How much do you think we see Simmons? And how about maybe Durant at center? Is that something they would try? Yeah, first part of the question, Will, I would be shocked if Ben Simmons is a part of this thing until potentially game four, and even that might be pushing it. He's not at a point where he's had any contact drills, where he's played in real NBA run back and forth. He's doing individual stuff. He's shooting with an assistant coach. He's working on lateral movements, spin moves, but nothing that would simulate an NBA playoff game. So to throw him into the fire until they're completely sure that he's physically and mentally ready to do it, I can't see the Nets doing that. Mind you, if he does get a shot, they're looking at 10 to 12 minutes. They're not looking at a starter's role. They're not looking at what Philadelphia needed from Ben Simmons a year ago in the playoffs where... The 76ers came up short. So it would be a modified role, be a switch defender, initiate the offense, uh, keep the ball moving. If there are opportunities to run, push the tempo, offensive rebound, all things the Nets could use. Don't get me wrong. They know that there's a void there. I just don't think they're counting on it. Second part of the question, absolutely. I believe Kevin Durant will play center in this series at times we saw it down the stretch of the season steve nash has grown more and more comfortable with it in fact what we saw a lot over the last four games was kyrie irving off the ball durant bringing it up bruce brown bringing it up patty mills bringing it up seth curry bringing it up and irving used in a scorer's role with durant in a setup role and kd can pass you know this idea and i've heard it for so many years that Kevin Durant is one of the great all-time scorers in the NBA. That's the nomenclature that's been used. No, 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 no. Kevin Durant is one of the all-time great players in the NBA. Not scores, players, his all-around ability, 
his skills as a help defender, uh, someone that can facilitate the offense, someone that can go and board if that's what you need him to do. If you need a tough rebound, KD will get in there and use his length. So um, I would get off that that very, uh, to me, fairly hackneyed description of Kevin Durant, that he's just a gifted scorer. He's a gifted player. Yeah, I, I think we saw it the other night too. He can be an elite defender when he locks in. I think that's the hope for you if you're the Nets that some of these issues defensively can get they're never going to be completely corrected because they're just so small, but they can be improved a little bit just with the effort of Kyrie, yes. with the effort of Durant. I think we saw it with Duke in the tournament. You know, they were so bad defensively late in the year, but sometimes the stakes of the game raises that intensity, that effort just enough where where you get enough stops. Uh, go back to Simmons here. First of all, what was he wearing the other day? Uh, when does he have to give it back to you? Did you feel comfortable lending it to him? What <laughs> yeah. was that? Yeah, I mean, as you know, Will, I have a lot of lamb in my wardrobe, and you know, Ben and I like to like to mix it up. I'll share outfits uh, with him; he'll share with me. Uh, that was his day for the green lamb suit. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the genesis of that was. Uh, he clearly uh, has uh, a style in mind, and uh, there might be a stylist involved in these decisions, but it's working for him. Could I pull it off? No. What uh, what's been the perception of him? You know, he comes here with uh, obviously I don't know if baggage is the right word, but uh, a lot went on in Philadelphia. You know, now we have the injury. What's sort of been the perception of him in terms of you know work ethic, him fitting in? Is he well liked? What what uh, you know, what have you taken from the few months Simmons has been around the team? Yeah, talking to people that are much closer to it than I am with the organization, they've said his attitude has been great. Uh, he has been engaged. He wants to be coached. He's been involved in every facet, sits in on every meeting that they've had, every film session that they've had, every practice they've had. He's been present, even though he hasn't necessarily been able to participate, engaged with his teammates. Uh, no doubt the fact that Patty Mills is part of this team and he's known Ben since he was a kid because Patty's been friends with the Simmons family for a long, long time. Uh, going back to the Australia days, I think that helped. It was a welcoming environment. And I think Ben was just happy to get out of Philly and put it in the rearview mirror. How it all plays out, how he handles the pressure, and what role is required of him. Does he give it a shot this postseason? Does he shut it down and just wait until 2022-23? Those are all legitimate questions. For now, the Nets are trying to not allow it to be a distraction. They'll answer questions when the questions are dished out. But in the end, they recognize that uh, they're probably going to have to do this without him. And if he is a part of it, it would be just as an added bonus and gravy for this playoff run. Transitioning to college, because obviously you do a great job with the NCAA tournament in college as well. Uh, you had the entire St. Peter's run. You actually had great games. You, you seemed to have a monopoly in all the games. I mean, what was it <laughs> San Francisco, Murray State, that opening Thursday yeah. night? I think half the country, at least the East Coast, was asleep. But that game was going on to like 1 in the morning, just ridiculous shot after shot. Uh, when you get a story like St. Peter's as a broadcaster, is it hard not to root? No, it's not. Believe it or not. Uh, I At some point in my career, I don't know what year it was, I determined when I put the headsets on, the only thing I root for is a competitive game. And even 
on net games that I've had to do nationally, I make a very concerted effort to maybe because of all my my background doing national games and the NFL and college basketball and NBA. I just make it a point to call the play as I see it, even on local net broadcasts. If the other team makes a great play, I react. To me, a great basketball play is a great basketball play. Certainly, is it more enjoyable when the Nets win, when I'm doing the local games? Of course. It's more fun to be around the team. You walk down the hallway at the arena. People are in a better mood. You get on the bus. Same deal. There's a more positive disposition. But I learned early on, I'm undefeated as a broadcaster. I have no wins, but I also have no losses. So I've maintained that that mindset throughout. Working with Bill Raftery starting in 1995, I think went a long way. He just was always upbeat, no matter what. If the Nets were getting their lunch handed to them, he still was bringing energy. He was still entertaining. And it was a great lesson to learn very early in my career that it doesn't matter. The score doesn't matter. People tune in. You've got to be informative. You've got to be entertaining. So even in this St. Peter's run, I got caught up like everybody else because it was such a tremendous story. But if Kentucky won the game in overtime on a big shot uh, by Oscar Shwebwe, I would have been just as excited as I was on the Doug Edder jump shot that gave St. Peter's the lead and and some light in pulling off a, a huge upset. Shocked Kentucky didn't win that game once it got to overtime. And we've, we've all seen enough games to know uh, the longer that goes, like, boy, it's just hard for the underdog. You know, once you've kind of gotten even gotten to that point it's just so many times you know the, the favorite's going to pull away that was just a great job to, to win the game and I think they ended up winning it pretty not convincingly but six eight points they kind of controlled overtime I was shocked uh they won it once they went to overtime yeah and, and Will the the thing that I've learned in doing the tournament I've been doing it since 1998 you have the anatomy of an upset yeah so the first part of the upset hang is around. yeah can you hang around do you get to that first time out and it's 12-7, you're down, but you're still in it. You took the first punch. Then the second part is, oh, wow, uh, they're competitive. Like, they're they're making a game of this. We're late in the game. This is a four-point game. And then the third part is, all right, can they actually win? Can they win the game? And I can't tell you how many tournament games I've done where the lower seed checked the first box, checked the second box, that third box is hard. It's hard to get over the hump as a 15 seed, 16 seed, you know, 13 and lower. And yet we do see it every year in the tournament. There is some team that steps forward. I had the game the year before, Oral Roberts against Ohio State, yeah. uh, where it followed a very similar path. And they got to overtime. Uh, Ohio State had a chance to win it at the end of regulation. Couldn't. And you get to overtime, you just assume, all right, Big Ten school, they're going to take over. They did not. And uh, Oral Roberts pulled off a fantastic upset, albeit not in front of any fans because this was the 2021 tournament, but an upset nonetheless that sticks with you. So back-to-back years, you're right. I've, I've had, uh, for whatever reason, good timing, good placement, but I've had these uh, ridiculous upsets that – 
that feel more like solar eclipses, but they've happened. Yeah, I, I remember I actually liked Oral Roberts going in that game just because I thought they could score them, and it was weird. That was last year when it, the tournament started on a Friday, which was just a, a weird thing. No fans it was starts on a Friday. But, you know, the Kentucky one, you just keep waiting for them. All right, they get up two, this is where they pull away. They get up four, this is where they pull away. They just never yep. uh, never quite pulled away. You mentioned Raftery, and we talked earlier in the podcast about Durant and being in awe. Uh, you know, playing one-on-one versus Durant, playing a game of horse versus Durant, would that be harder, or is it harder to go out with Raftery and keep up just in terms of <laughs> the nightlife, the uh, the post-game activities? Are yeah. they on the same level? So I started with the Nets at 25 years old, 1994. I did radio for one year, but Bill was on the TV crew. And the wonderful thing about Bill is it's always a situation where everybody's welcome. He is that type of person. So as a young guy on the radio crew, I was included in every dinner, in every post-game social session, every plane ride, every bus ride. We were one big group. So when I got the TV job the next year on the air, it was new for me. I had not done television before, but I got to know Bill very well. I had a full year under my belt and I got to know Bill very well late at night because what you hear is real. Now, this is 28 years ago now. And at that age, I, A, couldn't say no, and B, didn't know how to say no. So I just went along with it. It didn't matter. It would be three in the morning. And I'd be looking at my watch. We got a game the next day. I'm like, I can't believe this. Like, I'm still out. I graduated from college four years earlier. I thought those days were done. But Bill was a freak of nature. And the crazy part is, like, the next day, I would be beat up. And then I'd go to the gym and the hotel, and Raf would be on the treadmill doing his walk. And he'd, like, turn to me and go, hey, Bird, how you doing? Like, nothing. Like, completely unaffected. So I'd say for three years, I just went along with it. And finally, in my fourth year doing the broadcast with the Nets at midnight, I would say, hey, I'm good. I'm getting out of here. And Raph would always react like, hey, don't ruin a good party, bird. And I I didn't care. I'd say, yep, yep. And then the next day, either he wouldn't remember or he wouldn't hold a grudge. It was not a problem. He'd say, hey, we had fun last night, huh? I was like, yeah. And I would just leave. And I realized that that probably saved my career. <laughs> I think I don't know if you're a Seinfeld fan. I get the sense by your commentary you are just just watching some of your uh, some of your broadcasts. But there's an episode where who's the guy? I think it's Ramon who just follows Jerry all the way around, and eventually Jerry goes, "I need to go and I need to go to sleep now, Ramon." That's that's kind of <laughs> the, the sense I get with uh yeah. with Rafty. I remember what? you were on a podcast three or four years ago. I tried to find it. I couldn't find it with Zach Lowe. And you told a story about he took a nap right before a game, and you were panically trying to wake him up. And then he was kind of annoyed that you were bothering him, but like you're going to be late for the team bus. Can you retell that story? Do you remember the one I'm talking about? Yeah, so uh, it was in Oakland. The Nets were playing the Warriors. Raph had just done a Wake Forest game for ESPN. He flies across the country. He lands in the Bay Area. Mike O'Corin, who was the radio analyst, was notoriously early for the bus. If the bus was 4.30, Mike would show up at 4. And he went to North Carolina. It was all born out of Dean Smith basically scaring him that you cannot be late. 
So Mike was always early. So Raph knew this. He gets to the hotel. There's no room for him because he was going to get there basically just before the game. So he goes to the hotel. It was this out, <laughs> outdoor motel, basically, that was transformed into a Hilton. So you would open the door to your room and you were outside. It was one of those. It was right by the airport. So I go down to the bus about 15 minutes early because Mike has now taught me don't ever be late. And I see Mike. He's the only one on the bus. I go, hey, what's going on? He goes, hey, you better go get your partner. I said, what? What are you talking about? I'm meeting Raph at, at the arena. He says, no, 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 no. He came to my room and asked if I if he could just lay down for a few minutes before the bus, knowing that I was checking out. I go, okay. He goes, I have a key. It's room 352. So I walk all the way down there. I knock on the door. I get nothing. I now use the key. I open the door slowly. Raph is on the bed like a wounded animal, like his glasses on the edge of his nose, his notes on his chest, and sprawled out. And now I just start saying, hey, Raph, 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 nothing. I start shaking him, and he finally comes to it. He looks at me, he goes, oh, hey, bird. Like, that's a natural thing, that somebody would be in the hotel room pushing him to wake up. I said, hey, we got 10 minutes to get the bus. He goes, oh, oh, oh what time is it? So he stands there, he goes, I need five minutes. I go, okay, no problem. He gets up, he's disheveled at this point. <laughs> he gets up, he goes to the bathroom. I don't know what happens in the bathroom. It's like Clark Kent and Superman, he comes out. He looks resplendent in his jacket and tie. His hair is actually in order now. He looks refreshed. It, it's amazing. He, walk, he goes, all right, let's go, Bird. We walk out, we go to the bus, <laughs> we get on the bus. We go to do the game. That time we were on Sports Channel, we had to do multiple segments for the pregame show. So we get on the court to do our stand-up for the pregame show, and I'm going to lead into him with something on Derek Coleman. And uh, the producer counts us down, tosses to us, and I said, uh, all right, Bill, big matchup here with the Warriors. Derek Coleman is going to have his hands full here at the City by the Bay. That was my lead into him. Bill looks at me with this look in his eye, and he just starts singing, sitting at the top of the bay. And the producer hits my ear and says, does he have any idea we're on the air? And I'm now looking at him and looking at the camera like, I don't know. And they just roll the footage of Coleman, and he just jumps into it, DC! And he goes his whole spiel. And now I throw back to the studio, and Raph turns to me and says, that was good, good rehearsal. I go, Rehearsal? That was live, dude. He's like, what? I said, that was the pregame hit. <laughs> just set the tone for a fantastic night, obviously. He was out of it. He was working on no sleep whatsoever. And it was glorious. And it was, and it was fun. And we probably had seven viewers, but it was great. <laughs> He, uh, any uh, sign of him slowing down? Does he, I mean, I'm, you still did games with him this year, I believe. I did. Is he, does he talk about retirement? He's still sharp oh. as attack. He's still doing all the games. It's just, this is, he's still in it, right? He loves it. He loves it. And by the way, he's still great. So, yeah, he is. no, there's, there's no, no talk, no thought, no chatter of, of him, uh, doing anything else. This is what he loves to do. And I think, the audience still appreciates what he brings to the table. We did a bunch of games 
together this year. And I, I can't tell you what it feels like. It's like you know, putting on your most comfortable pair of jeans or slippers. Every time we put the headset on, we're transported back in time to all those years that we work together and the ease in which our conversations take place. Basically, what you hear on the air is what it is off the air. We bust balls, yes, but in a fun way, in a lighthearted way, and we do the game. So intertwined within the game is uh, some levity and some puns and uh, some put downs, but always with a smile and always with uh, the proper disposition. Yeah, you have that with him and you have that with uh, Spinarkle too. And chemistry is, is just a thing you can't really, you know, replace. You can't really fake. It's just, you know, it comes with time. Uh, and Rafter, he did a great job in the title game. I don't know. I'm sure you were watching Kansas, North Carolina. Kansas is up three. They're inbounding with five seconds left. And, you know, it's funny. They're favored by four, too. It, it, it's a betting show here. So <laughs> some people uh, were not too happy. He stepped out of bounds. But Rafter did, a great, Rafter did a great job saying, you know what, this is a tricky angle here on the inbound. And it ended up being true. I mean, it really, it led to, you know, a different difficult pass and the kid steps out of bounds so he was all over it. he nailed that part of it yeah he nailed like three or four things down the stretch where he was prescient and on top of it and that's that's also uh, something that I've noticed working with him all these years I think a lot of people attach to the sayings and the bursts of energy he really knows his hoops and he really prepares uh, his crib notes uh, you would not believe what those look like and the detail, the amount of information, the diagrams and graphs that he has on potential plays are going to run, things that he's seen on tape, uh, tendencies that have caught his attention. It's, it's amazing. He's, uh, he's a basketball lifer, and uh, I think he just really enjoys sharing it with the public. And as entertaining as he is on air, uh, he's equally as delightful off the air. All right, Ian, I appreciate your time. One last one before I get you out of here. I, you were the producer for Mike and the Mad Dog early 90s. Uh, what's that like? Uh, were, they, were, were Mike and Chris getting along at that point? I know there were some car rides you had with Chris. Can you give us a story, uh, you know, your time with Mike and the Mad Dog and what's that that's like? You know, probably only a few years out of college at that point. Yeah, it was 1992. I graduated in 1990, and it was like going to graduate school because of the chemistry that they had. And it taught me a great deal and prepared me, even in the play-by-play -play world. You mentioned it with Raf and with Spinarkle, and I really take pride in it with any analyst that I work with, finding common ground, finding uh, the right notes to hit, to put the analyst in the best possible light and put them in a position to succeed. And a lot of that was born from watching those two guys. They were getting along at that point. Uh, that was at a time where they were socializing. And you know, I ended up getting married in 1993. Both were at my wedding. And it was, they were both sat at the same table. I didn't have to separate them. It, it was pretty wild to see the metamorphosis in New York sports in that time period. They became like rock stars. And I would go with them to basically every appearance and any big event, I was invited and would tag along. And to not only be a fly on the wall, they also you know, fortunately respected me and enjoyed my company and thought I brought something to the table. So 
watching that, observing it was planting a lot of seeds in my head in how to do this, how to do this the right way and how to connect with an audience. I think more than anything else, that's probably what I took away from it. My rides with Chris, I was living on the Upper East Side. He was living uh, on 51st and York and I would drive him home every single day. So five days a week I was spending in a car. Uh, show would end at 6.30 right before Mets Extra and you know, took us 35 minutes or so, depending on traffic, to get back to his place and then drop him off and go to my apartment. And we ran the gamut. Sports minutia, lots of it, but life and personal life. And, you know, the crazy part about Chris is you would tell him something that was personal and he wouldn't use it the next day on the air. A week later. Four months would go by. And then he would throw it out there. And I'm behind the scenes. I'm like, what the? You know what I'm thinking. Like, this guy is going to use this against me. What did he do? What, what, can you think of an example? Uh, you know, maybe my my wife's sister was dating somebody at the time. And I said, oh, yeah, the guy's a prick. <laughs> and then four months later, he might say, well, I... I can tell you this, Ian does not care for his sister-in-law's boyfriend. Like, what What the? Like, stuff that would pop on the air and that people would hear, or something I would say about my family, a cousin, <laughs> you know, stuff that should not have been shared. And I, you know, obviously didn't learn my lesson because I kept sharing <laughs> stuff. And he had uh, a ridiculous platform in which to share it. And Mike would usually stoke the fire. And I found, uh, I worked with Bob Gelb, who was an all-time great guy and great producer behind the scenes. He and I found that when there was little going on, there was a greater chance of this kind of stuff yeah. coming to the surface. And it happened a lot. He uh, he's a piece of work. He, Both of them were, were very kind to me, and I, I can call them both legitimate friends. I think it was Chris Carlin making a point. He said they were on a road trip to Indiana once, and for whatever reason, they're in the same room, and he walks in, and they're breaking down this, like, you know, romantic comedy, basically like it's a fake punt in the Jets game where, you yeah. know, hey, you, you had to break up with a dog, you had to break up with or something like that, and it's just, yeah, you're right. Anytime there was nothing going on in sports, it, it kind of was their best stuff. All right, Ian, well, I appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll be watching during the playoffs. I, you know, when you, once you get back to the NFL, you're going to have a, a lot to learn here because there's basically <laughs> been, you know, uh, an NBA-like offseason here between Tyreek Hill and these quarterbacks. So uh, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you Obviously, you do a great job on the games. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, my pleasure, Will. Great to talk to you. We'll do it again down the road and enjoy the playoffs. I think uh, it's going to be fun. I, I think it's going to be a blast, these matchups. Not all of them in the first round, but – the potential conference semifinal matchups uh, size up to be pretty good. Appreciate it, Ian. Thanks again. All right, Will. Be well, man.